title of this morning's message is how to give away your first 100K. Now, it's actually a steal from another pastor buddy of mine who actually had that, the title of his talk for a high school graduation. Imagine being in high school, and for graduation, the guy gets up and tells you how to give away your first $100,000. In high school, you're like, man, I ain't even got a category for that. Those of you that are in college, even less of a category, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, $100,000? Here's what I'd like you to do. The person that you came with this morning, on a scale of 1 to 10... I want you to tell what you think your odds are on the ability to give $100,000 away in your lifetime. Scale of 1 to 10, find somebody close to you, go ahead and give them your number. All right. So my buddy uh, actually wrote a book and he talked about it in there. Let me read a short snippet. He said, our journey to giving away $100,000 started with writing $40 checks. As newlyweds, my wife and I devoted ourselves to a practice called tithing, the discipline of restricting our spending to 90% of our income so 10% could be given away. We didn't decide to do this because we had money to spare. In our early 20s, as we worked to get our small church off the ground, our salary was tiny. This was also a time when our three children arrived in quick succession, and we struggled dollars a year, or after five years, 10000 in total. Then, after years of struggling to get airborne, the church took off. Our salary increased as the congregation grew. As we moved into our 30s and 40s, the size of our giving checks increased. I haven't done the exact math. But sometime in our early 40s, we crossed the threshold of giving away our first $100,000. What is remarkable to me is that the amount of our individual checks taken alone would not appear impressive. It is not the size of a single gift, but the redundancy, the consistency over a long period of time that builds a legacy of generosity. Now, I know what you guys are thinking right now. You're like, dang, T, that's, that's like a really cool story. And then as soon as that thought comes in your mind, another thought comes in, oh, crap, this is probably a week on giving, isn't it? Yeah, I know, I get it, I understand. Friends, let me welcome you to a teaching on tithing. Woo! I've started to learn, started, still not great at it, to become more comfortable with it. Because at the end of the day, if I'm unwilling to teach on one of the things that Jesus says is most near and dear to his heart and actually is something that is chained to ours, then I'm actually doing you a disservice if I don't help us understand how amazing and wonderful it is to trust God in something like this. Not only that, but it's kind of unfair because I'm experiencing the blessing of faithful obedience. Not that God doesn't still have things to teach me. He does. But it would seem really unfair for me to sit back and enjoy this amazing thing that I get to participate in and not tell you about it. So today what I'd like to do is three things, okay? 
I want to talk about why this topic, okay, why we're having this conversation. I want to let you in on a little secret about tithing, and then I'd like to tell you what giving or tithing does. So why are we talking about it? First off, the Bible actually talks about uh, giving, generosity, uh, basically tithe and, and all that uh, so much. Over 2,000 times, the topic actually comes up. Now, there are some people that will say uh, money and, and giving and generosity, that's like the number one topic that the Bible talks about. Not really. Usually what's happening is Jesus uses money as an illustration to talk about the kingdom of God. Uh, the thing that Jesus is most interested in is not your money. Jesus is interested in uh, the kingdom of God and how you can join it, become a part of it. Now, Jesus does often use money, though, to illustrate that. And it's important for us to understand why. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at two passages this morning. There's a ton of different passages we could go to, but there's two that I think are really important, and they're kind of connected. The first one is in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Now, what we're about to dive into here is uh, the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's a very famous teaching that Matthew records for us, and Jesus has all kinds of different things that he's saying within uh, this particular teaching. It's really kind of his vision on how the kingdom of God uh, gets lived out, how we can experience it. And right in the middle, he drops this amazing nugget of truth on us. Jesus says this in verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin or rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body, whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. You're like, what in the world does that have to do with treasure in heaven and what I focus on? Well, for Jesus and Hebrews, when they use the word healthy, it means generous. In fact, if you look in the notes of your Bible, a lot of you will have a note that actually explains that. And unhealthy is uh, really stingy. So what Jesus says is the eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eyes are generous, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are stingy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you're going to hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, it's a pretty famous teaching. A lot of you have probably heard those verses before. But Jesus' main point is simply that wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be as well. Now, uh, I want to flip over because I know you're like, all right, I get that like where my treasure is there, my heart will be. And yeah, you can probably make some sort of a connection to giving and tithing, but he doesn't actually say it right there. So fair, fair question. Let's flip over now to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Now, uh, this is Jesus' teaching. And throughout the New Testament, we have the Gospels, which kind of record Jesus' life and his teaching. And then after the Gospels, we have all these letters, and Acts is kind of a history of how the early church starts, where they're kind of fleshing out all of Jesus' teaching and how to actually put it into practice, okay? So the Apostle Paul is one of the guys that writes uh, a number of these letters, and one of the letters that he writes is called 1 Timothy. This was actually a letter that he wrote to his protege, a guy that he had been mentoring 
Timothy, who was pastoring, uh, we think at this time, he's at the church in Ephesus. Paul helped plant that church. After Paul leaves, he puts Timothy there to kind of pastor that church. It's his protege. And uh, Paul even writes a letter, the, the letter to the Ephesians, the book of Ephesians that we talk about. And in this particular letter, though, this is a personal letter that he writes to Timothy to help Timothy know how to pastor these people, how they can then live out Jesus' teaching, okay? So we flip over to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we read verse 17. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. If you've lived long enough, you've lived through an economic downturn, and you know how quickly your wealth can go away. We've all lived through a pandemic. Some of you had jobs that were rocking and rolling, and in a number of months, they were gone. The older you get, the more you understand how true this is. Don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. But he says, put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Side note, anything that you have, God's given you. Why has he given it to you? For your enjoyment. You don't have to be upset that you got it. All right? You like those sweet new heels you got? Rock them, baby. Okay? There's nothing wrong with, like, for your enjoyment. Verse 18. It's for our enjoyment, but also for other things. Command them, he says, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You see what he talks about? He's talking about the same thing that Jesus was talking about. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. So you want to have treasure in heaven? All right. Then you got to be rich in good deeds. Generous, willing to share. That's how you lay up treasure in heaven. Now, some of y'all are like, man, I'm so glad he read the first verse in that passage, verse 17, because it's talking about the rich. And that's not me. I'm not rich. And to that I say, baloney, you're American. Every single person in this room, no matter how much money you're currently making, still wealthier than at least 90% of the rest of the world. To be honest, most of you are probably somewhere in the 95th to 98th percentile. If I remember correctly, the statistics, uh, simply owning one car puts you in the like 95th percentile. It's crazy. We are rich. At least, if you don't think you're rich, that's fine. But just kind of for the sake of argument, assume that what Paul is writing to Timothy here not only applied to the Christians at the church in Ephesus, but applies to you and I as well. So why in the world am I talking about this? Because the Bible understands that wherever our treasure is, that's where our heart is going to be also. Um, maybe some of you are thinking, yeah, T, I, I get it, but like, why are you talking about it in this series? Like, you said this was a vision series. Like, last week, you told us about, like, the mission of the local church. Like, we're a multiplying church, helping the next generation fall in love with Jesus to create better futures. Like, man, we're passionate. That's awesome. Like, I'm so down for that. Heck, yeah, we want to help the 
the next generation find Jesus, fall in love with Jesus. Like, that's cool, man. Like, I'm all about it. So why are you talking about giving, though? Well, our church can't reach the next generation. And we're certainly not going to be able to plant other churches if our heart's not in it. If our heart's not actually in it. If we're not actually passionate about saying, you know what, I'm willing to do what it takes to reach the next generation. My heart has to be in wanting to plant other churches. How do I know if my heart's in it? You'll always know where your heart is based on where your treasure is. <laughs> I give a lot of money to myself, right? Paying my mortgage, paying my bills, got a little fun account, all right? Can buy some kicks if I want to, my fun account. I can save it up, buy something else, all right? I like to spend a lot of money on myself. But if there's not other things that I'm investing my money in, I will tell you that my heart will be all about me. So one of the things that I'm grateful for is I had parents who were taught by their parents about tithing and generosity. And so my parents actually taught me that. And so it's one of the things that Brenda and I have been able to practice for the last 22 and a half years as a married couple and me before that. Now, I will say my wife's way better at it than I am, and I'm grateful for that. I was debating all week, like, will I tell you guys what, what, what my, like, inside my own mind, like, what my target is, how much I hope our friend and I get to give away before they put me in the grave? And I'm not. I'm not going to tell you. It's a little audacious, but I'm excited about it, and I'm actually hoping I crush it. Because I know that where my treasure is, that's where my heart is as well. And we're never going to be able to accomplish the mission that God's called us to. Certainly not going to be able to accomplish the vision unless we have invested generosity in it because where our treasure is is where our heart is. And we'll never do the mission that God's called us to if our heart's not in it. And that's true of me, and it's true of you as well. We're not going to be able to plant healthy churches either. If we're not healthy ourselves, and you want to know one of the greatest barometers of health in your life, two things, your checkbook and your calendar, millennials. A checkbook is something that adults have. I'm kidding. I'm joking. I'm joking. Look, I get it. I don't have checkbooks anymore. But that is the, you want to know, look at your bank account, right? Look at your calendar. That is the greatest barometer of spiritual health. We cannot do for others what we're not doing for ourselves. And Jesus says, look, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. Now, uh, one of the things that I have found, though, is uh, that for us Americans, and most of us, we're like middle-class Americans. That, that puts us in, like, far as the rest of the world goes, we're some of the richest folks in the absolute universe. The more money we have, though, usually it means the less faith that we have. We don't need as much faith when we've got money. It's an unfortunate truth. I can go and buy. Like, I get sick, I can go to the doctor, I can pay my copay, I can get a prescription. We live in a, uh, a super rich country, right? We get vaccines for free. You need something, you can go find a doctor who's going to get it for you. Uh, we've got money. When you got money, you tend to just rely on yourself. I'll fix it myself. My car broke down. I don't need faith to get it fixed. I just got to go pay a mechanic to do it. I get sick, I don't have to have faith that God's going to heal me. I'm going to go to my doctor. I'll be the first to admit, this is actually something God's trying to work on me a little bit with. I rarely, I get a cold, I rarely pray. 
Yeah, I, I run to Walgreens. <laughs> that's my God for colds, okay? I'm trying to get better at that. But that's one of the things that I've realized. More money, less faith. And so God wants to actually combat that, right? Because God wants us to be people of faith that live into faith, that grow in faith. So when we tithe, what we're actually doing, and I, 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 uh, I forgot about this again. I had a, a, like a, an illustration I was going to use, and, and I had a bunch of people say, don't use that. That's not a good illustration. Um, so I'm not going to use it. I'm trying to figure out something else. But when we tithe, what we're doing is we're looking our culture in the face, our culture that tells you that your value, your coolness, right, uh, your worth all comes by what you buy and consume. That's what our culture is telling us over and over and over and over again. What you consume, what you buy, that's how you find your identity. That's how you tell what tribe you're in. That tells you how cool you are. And every time we tithe, it's like looking our country, our culture, I should say, in the face and saying, forget you. I don't believe that lie. It's like looking at the God of money in the face and saying, you don't control me. You don't own me. You are not the boss of me. That's what tithing actually does. Not only that, but it actually shows our love and appreciation for what Christ has done for us. So, friends, that's why we're talking about this topic. Now let me tell you about a little secret. Tithing doesn't make sense. Tithing doesn't make sense. Tithing, which is just, uh, the, the word tithe just means a tenth, okay? So when we talk about tithing, we're talking about 10%, all right, of whatever you earn, and what it means is that we have to then learn how to live on 90% of our income. The problem with that, though, is that many of us live on 115% of our income, right? And our debt continues to grow. Now, maybe not you in particular, but our country, we tend to live beyond our means. And so it's even harder. Tithing doesn't make sense. It's counterintuitive. It might not look like the smartest thing that you'll ever do, but friends, trust me, I promise you, it absolutely is. And this is kind of on purpose. Why? Because God made tithing to grow our faith. Let me say that again. God made tithing to grow our faith. Uh, most folks uh, in the church especially say they would love to give if they could afford it, right? It's like, well, once I get a better job, once I, you know, like, pay off these loans or get a better handle on my finances, like that's what I'm going to do. And what we're actually saying, though, when we say that is that as soon as we don't have to do this by faith, that's when we're going to start giving. The problem is it never comes. It's never going to happen. You see, God isn't interested in his people waiting for excess money to begin tithing. Let me say that again. God isn't interested in his people waiting for excess money before they begin tithing. He wants us to learn to live by faith. That comment, the command to live by faith, is all throughout Scripture. God has actually planned for tithing, hear this, to be painful at first. God has planned for tithing to be a little bit painful at first. All important decisions that require faith are a little bit painful at first. When you first decided to follow Jesus, when you got old enough to understand what that meant and had to ask the question, am I really going to do it? Am I really going to stand out for my friends? When my friends laugh about that, will I? 
Am I really going to follow Jesus and give him control of my entire life? Man, that's a, that's a big faith commitment, and that requires some cost. So does tithing. God does it on purpose because he wants to grow our faith. It's good to struggle with faith decisions. But I will say this. It's important to make up your mind now. Tithing will absolutely be a struggle at first. All right? But to give by faith means we put obedience to God above all other considerations and trust him to work it out. To give by faith means that we put obedience to God above all other considerations and trust him to work it out. Now, if we're going to do this, step into a place of faith with God, see if God's actually true to what he says, there's a couple things that are going to happen, okay? Number one, there will be obstacles. The evil one does not want you to learn to live by faith. If you make a decision today to say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe what your word says. I'm going to take you up. I'm going to begin to tithe. I promise you the evil one is going to be whispering in your ear. You can't actually do that. Have you seen your finances lately? You can't afford that. It's not even possible. And if you're able to say, no, 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 I, I, it's possible. I, he's going to say, yeah, but is it even a good idea, really? I promise you there's going to be obstacles. In fact, you're, maybe you're like, all right, get behind me, Satan. And you say, God, I'm doing it. I'm going to tithe this month. And you just happen to be on Facebook Marketplace when you say that, though, right? And the couch that you've been looking for, oh, my goodness, it's there. And it's so cheap. And it's the exact couch, God, that you know I've been asking you for. And it's going to tie this whole room together. And, God, it's a hide-a-bed. And I told you, like, I want to do a better job with, like, hospitality. So, like, this totally makes sense, right? God wouldn't put it on Facebook at that price if he didn't want me to buy it. You're right. He wouldn't put it on Facebook. <laughs> Satan would, though. So if you want to buy that Satan couch and put it in your living room, you go right ahead, okay? You just, you do you, boo, okay? You know what I'm saying? Like, no, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. All right, so no Satan couches, probably. So <laughs> what does it mean, though? If you're going to take God at his word and step out in faith, it's, it's going to cost something, and it's... I can guarantee be met with obstacles. But the second thing that I can promise you is that God will reward your faith lived in obedience. I promise you. Um, I've been around hundreds, probably at this point, I've been uh, in full-time ministry for about 25 years now. Probably not just hundreds, probably thousands of individuals that I've interacted with uh, that have been giving at least 10% of their income to God through the local church. I have yet to meet a single individual that told me that when they started tithing, it was easy. <laughs> Not one. But I have yet to meet a single individual that has not also said that it was absolutely worth it. I'm one of those people. I think I'm withholding one of God's greatest gifts and secrets if I don't talk to you about generosity, about giving, about tithing. Man, I'm just telling you, I, I haven't done a, 
tried really hard, but anytime I've ever tried to outgive God, like I'm way on the losing end of that. I've never been able to outgive God. I've never even met somebody who's been able to outgive God. God promises his blessing. Now, we're not a health and wealth church. I'm not telling you, you give God 10 bucks, he's going to give you $100 in, in return. And for $5,000, you can have this hanky that I wipe my sweat off. Who wants it? All right, no, that's, we're not, but I will say this, okay? God's word is clear. When we are generous, when we give a portion of our income back to God, recognizing that it ultimately came from him, not only does it grow our faith, but God blesses that. He blesses it in the future, in eternity. He actually says we're, we can lay up treasure with our generosity in heaven. I don't know what that means, but it does have some implications. Some folks are going to wind up in heaven and they're going to be poor. I have no idea what it looks like to be poor in heaven. Still sounds like a pretty decent place to be poor. But God seems to be saying something here. That there is an expectation that he's going to do something for us in the future. Now, I'm not saying the more money you give, like that's why you get like higher up in like God's penthouse and you get the penthouse suite, corner. That's not what I'm talking about. But there's something, I don't know what, but there's something that happens. How God wants to reward that. But God doesn't just say it's something that's going to happen in the future. God also says he rewards us in the present as well. You'll never outgive God, I promise you. And I don't want something from you. Look, I get it. a lot of times people are like, oh, of course the pastor's talking about money. Yeah, he wants to get money. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. I don't want something from you. Friends, I promise you, I want something for you. Something that I've experienced myself. God's continuing to grow my own heart in it as well. Look, when it comes to giving, we almost never say no to God. That might actually be the better thing because then you can have a fight with them, all right? Usually what happens, though, is we say something else, something that's way more lethal. We tell God later. I got him in college. Like, I'm making like nine-something an hour. I'm, I'm actually going into debt. Like, God, I like, you know I want to give, and I'm totally going to, but like, not, like right now, that, like, come on. It's not even that much. Then we get out, and we get our first job. Whoo, man, that's, that's nice, but God... Like, you know how much college that I have, right? And this is like an entry-level job. Like, when I get a little bit, like, I get that promotion, I get that next job, like, God, I'm going to do it. I promise I'm going to do it just a little bit later. And then you get that next job, right, the big promotion. They finally see how awesome you are, what an asset to the company you are. And you're like, yes, this is awesome. I can finally buy a house now. This is great. God, do you have any idea how expensive it is to buy a house in Grand Rapids? It's crazy. I had to pay 15K over asking price, Lord. So, like, I'm totally down to give. I'm going to. I'm all about it, God. But just a little bit later. And then you have your first baby. Oh, Lord, thank you for this gift. Wow, she's so beautiful and amazing. Oh, my goodness, Lord, thank you for giving her to me. But, God, whew, you didn't tell me how expensive these little things are. There's a lot of money, Lord. You know, I got to buy a pack and play and a pack and play for when I'm here. And I need that, like, I need all. God, I'm going to. I'm so down a little bit later. And then you got three and two of them are driving. Lord, you know, we need a third car. We can't keep driving them everywhere. God, we're absolutely, we're down. We believe in the mission of your kingdom. God, we love our church. We're going to later. And then they're in college. Woo! College is expensive, Lord. You get it. You understand. You know. And then they're finally out of college. And you're like, yes! 
Yes, Lord, now's the time. And you wake up one morning and you're 58 years old and you've done exactly what you said you were going to do. You've waited till later. You've had a whole lifetime of missing out on all these beautiful, amazing ways God wants to grow your faith and bless your life. But friends, I don't want something from you. I so desperately want something for you. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to start somewhere, and I want you to start now. And so uh, I've got some ushers. They're going to be uh, walking down to pass out some. Uh, yep, there they come. Thank you. And uh, they're going to be passing out a little card. What I'm going to ask you to do today is take the 90-day tithe challenge. If you're not currently tithing 10%, I'm going to ask you to see if God is true or not. Micah 3.10 actually says, test me in this. God, all throughout Scripture says, don't test me. And then there's this one time that he says, test me. and See if I'm not who I say I am. See if I won't throw open the storehouses. So, 90-day tithe challenge is what it looks like. For the next 90 days, you commit to tithing 10% of your income. And after 90 days, if God hasn't blessed you, if God hasn't grown your faith in such a way that you can recognize it and see it, if you don't see you can absolutely ask us for your money back and we will return it. Money back guarantee. Is that cheesy? Oh my goodness, yes, it's terrible. It's so cheesy. I hate it. But some of you maybe need that. You know what? You're like, I don't know. I don't know if God will actually do that. You maybe need that. I'm just telling you, we will give it back. I promise you, I'll give it all, all the money that you gave in that night. I'll give it all back. Now, I've never had anybody do that. Maybe you're like, man, T, that sounds kind of like, I don't know. All right. All I'm saying is, I don't want something from you. I want something for you. I want you to experience God the way that I've experienced him. I want your faith to actually grow. Where your treasure is, is where your heart will be. Jesus is so clear on that. That's one of the reasons that the Bible talks about money so much, because God wants us to make him first. I want to finish by reading you a story. This is actually a guy here in a church named Tom. Uh, Tom was sitting in this building the first time that we ever gave the 90-day tithe challenge. Uh, Tom didn't come to Christ until he was in his 30s. Tom was in his early 40s when he was here at TLC, and he heard this for the first time. Let me read you what he wrote. He says, I want to share with you how God has been faithful in my life today and for our family over these past few months. We started partially tithing a few years ago, but I confessed I treated our donations no different than any normal monthly bill. The schedule of it all kept me, kept me writing checks, but let me be honest, I was holding out and I knew it. When you introduced the 90-day tithe challenge, something in me moved, and I began to pray about it. I went to Malachi and read 3.10 several times, and one evening I was in prayer and I felt the Spirit speak to me. Following our few comments I wrote down in my journal from our conversation that evening. And he's got four points that he had written down. He told me he still has this journal. He says, I'm not good at trusting, but I need to step out in faith. God told me that it's time for our family to commit to a full tithe and let go. And then he said, I heard Jesus ask me two questions. 
do you trust me? And will you just test me and see what happens? He says, I wrote these words on October 4th, two days before I began my monthly check writing, which I always did on a Friday. In addition to these thoughts and words from God, he also gave me a detailed timeline of some things he wanted me to do. I thought it was all very odd. God usually didn't ever speak to me like this, but I wrote it down. He says, reflecting back, it makes me smile because God knows how I'm wired and he knew that I was going to need a plan from him. So I wrote these things down and tithing was the first thing on the list. The only other thing that I still remember to this day is he told me that I was supposed to celebrate at the end of December. Two days later, the day I was supposed to write my first check that evening was Friday, October 6th. That morning, my company announced that several hundred people would be laid off. I was beside myself with worry and doubt. I had two kids, a mortgage, all kinds of bills that needed to be paid. And God had just told me to trust him, but how could I possibly tithe and write these checks? So I went back to God and I did my best to challenge his request. I said to him, how can you do this to me? How can I possibly trust you? And he said, God was quiet despite my wrestling with him. I had the checks in my hand ready to tear them up, but a peace fell over me. I was determined to trust him. On Monday, October 9th, I watched many of my colleagues have their lives turned upside down. I was walked to the front of the building as well, but my job was spared. I would now be working in Lansing, and there was no guarantee that another round of layoffs wouldn't happen in the next couple of months. October came and went. I started applying for jobs, and yes, fulfilled my promise to tithe again in November. Fear was a constant battle, and the more fear that came down on me, the more I leaned into him. Trust kept me going. November was a crazy month, but if I fast forward to the beginning of December, I resigned my job exactly three months to the day that God asked me to trust him and was offered a new position in Grand Rapids. The last day at my current job was December 29th. Task completed, time to celebrate. We serve an amazing, gracious, eternal, and sovereign God. He is faithful, and I have grown in my walk with him over these past three months. Our whole family has. God had a plan. He shared that plan, and I trusted his plan by obeying him, and I'm so grateful I did. I asked Tom this past week if I could share his story, and that was uh, a little over three years ago. And though I asked him, when, uh, I said, hey, man, I know this is probably a dumb question, but like just between you and me, do you regret it at all? He had written this a couple years ago. And he wrote me back and he said, yes, Torin, that is a stupid question. <laughs> he says, absolutely not. He says, my faith has grown so much when I trusted what God says and actually leaned into it. He says, we're actually even more generous now than we were three years ago. And he said, and it's so fun. And friends, that's what I want. Not something from you, but something for you. I want you to experience God like that. So, for some of you, that means today, you're going to sign your name, as crazy as it seems, and you're going to say, God, I'm putting you to the test. 
I don't know how this is going to work, but I'm going to give to you first. Others of you, maybe God's saying, hey, your giving hasn't been in faith anymore. It's just too easy. You're not even thinking about it. Maybe there's some new way God wants to stoke that fire, grow that faith, so we can learn to rely more and more on him, recognizing that he's actually the one that it all comes from. And he's never let us down. Father God, let us be a church that has a heart that is full in on what you've called us to. God, we know where our treasure is is where our heart will be also. So God, would you continue? Thanks for, God, I know it sounds crazy, but God, you give us 90%. That's really your money and you let us steward that. God, help us to be faithful and generous in returning a portion to you to see your kingdom come in Grand Rapids as it is in heaven.